Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. As always, we're sponsored by Vigit. Bet fake coins, win real prizes. The Super Bowl competition is still going on. I don't know if you've looked at Super Bowl tickets. I have because I'm <laughs> just a curious cat. They're expensive. And just to kind of dumb it down to you, the cheapest, cheapest tickets, and this is probably without fees, $5,600 a ticket. So if you want to try and avoid that with the last week or so, Enter into Vigit's Super Bowl contest. If you do well betting, you're entering a raffle to win Super Bowl tickets. There's still time. A few days left. Go for it. Use our code ALLSTARS when you sign up. And maybe have the trip of a lifetime, literally. Speaking of the Super Bowl, though, last week, because we're recording this kind of late now, conference championships the NFL. Interesting, interesting matchups. Probably something you or I could not have predicted at the start of the season especially, but they did not disappoint. In fact, this entire playoffs have not disappointed with some exciting, memorable games, and it's been absolutely incredible. Let's start AFC first game, Chiefs-Bengals in Arrowhead. This game was gross to start off. I was very worried watching it. Uh, You had the Chiefs come out Red hot, just dismantling the Bengals' defense. The Bengals started okay. I think they started a little bit nervous and conservative. They were running the ball. Throws weren't there. Chiefs were kind of locking them down. And if I'm not mistaken, deficit toward the end of the second quarter, 21-10? I believe so, yeah. So what ends up happening is Chiefs, with plenty of time left and, you know, no – about of time is too little for Patrick Mahomes <laughs> as per last week. Drove down the field very quickly, and they got to literally the one-yard line with no timeouts off a nice P.I. call. They're at the doorstep. They can score, put up 28-10, effectively clinch it, or even kick a field goal and put up 24-10, be up two scores, being two touchdowns. They decided to go for it all. They throw an out route to Tyreek Hill and – a good play is made to stop him just short. Bengals go down to halftime by 11. They come out in the second half. That defense was revitalized. They were getting to Mahomes, forcing them to make some stupid plays, got an interception, and they took the momentum, rolled with it. Chiefs, toward the end of the game, managed to kind of control everything. We're getting down very close. Looked like they were going to try and run the clock out, force Joe Burrow out without even touching the ball. Sure enough, though, that defense held strong scent to overtime where we saw a repeat of last week. Chiefs get the ball to start. Give, gives all of America a heart attack when they win the, win the coin toss. We were all disappointed here in Buffalo. <laughs> and lo and behold, just like last week, in 13 seconds, something big happens. But not in favor of the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes throws an interception. Bengals get the ball, drive up field. Evan McPherson sends them to the Super Bowl first time since 88. Wow, what a game for Cincinnati and everyone rooting against Jackson Mahomes and uh, Brittany Matthews. Insane. This game perfectly encapsulated the Cincinnati Bengals season. Inconsistency throughout most of the game, but you finish not just on a high note, you finish as – in spectacular fashion in 
ways you couldn't even imagine. You know, down 14-3 to the Kansas City Chiefs, very few teams are going to find ways to be able to come back from that. And the, the Bengals just kept on fighting like they did all season. You brought up a, a matchup we could never have project, projected. I, I literally remember at the beginning of the season saying the Cincinnati Bengals were going to lose the AFC North. They, they are going to the Super Bowl now. I don't even know what to say. This game strip could not have been thought of at the beginning of the season. The fact that Evan McPherson, a drafted kicker, is proving everybody wrong as to why you don't draft kickers. Like, you clearly go after good players if they're there. I mean, everything just started to go right for this team. Even when things were going wrong, it just felt like momentum never really left the Bengals' side after that, that stop of Tyreek Hill at halftime. It just, that was the play that, that just holding one of the best receivers in football, one of the fastest receivers in football to zero yards on a one yard play, just, it changed everything. And, and the Bengals just had a newfound, I mean, Joe, Joe Burrow, just, you, you saw it in the way he was throwing the football, the way he was calm under, under pressure. He knew that beating Mahomes was now possible. And he went out and he put his team in a position to do that. And then again, the leg of McPherson has been, what they can rely on all playoff, all playoffs long. Um, yeah, there's a few storylines that I think are very interesting. Evan McPherson, I believe, has 11 field goals this postseason. If in the Super Bowl he hits three more, he'll tie Adam Vinatieri's record back in 05, if I'm not mistaken. And if he hits four, which, you know, judging what the Bengals have done this year, is actually very feasible. He'll break that record, which is quite insane for a rookie. A rookie and kicker. he is having an awesome season. Oh, yeah. Like you said, Bengals' first trip back to the Super Bowl since 88. They are one of 12 teams that has never won a Super Bowl, trying to change that this – excuse me, not this weekend, next weekend. Um, Kansas City became the first team to ever play back-to-back playoff overtime games. One went their way. One didn't. It's a lot of football. Very, very, very tough way to end the season, but – a very good season for Kansas city yet again, despite some early, early year struggles. We're sure we're sure they'll be back top in the AFC next year. No question about it. But right now this is Joe Burrow, Jamar chase and the Bengals time. They are going to represent the AFC in the super bowl. I want to talk about a few storylines from that game. Cause there are some interesting tidbits um, before the game, the entire league, like just came after Eli Apple for probably legitimate reason. And I don't know if you were watching in overtime, but that first drive. So what ended up being that interception by Mahomes first down kind of overthrows the receiver. Okay. So be it second down. He also had a really bad throw and sure enough, Eli Apple would have been the person to seal the game if that had happened. And I think that would have been almost ironically poetic. It didn't probably (laughs) thank God for the sake of just the world, but uh, another thing being just Joe Burrow. I don't know what it is. I know being a Steelers fan, you have moderate animosity towards the Bengals just being a rival, but for whatever reason, and I've talked to plenty of people who aren't Bengals fans or just AFC fans. No one hates this guy. I don't know what it is, but everyone likes him, everyone's rooting for him. And I think even Chiefs fans, granted, in, not in the heat of moment, but you have to have some respect for this. Uh, he's not a rookie, he's a second year, but being that his first season was taken down pretty quick by Chase Young, a lot of respect. He 
could have easily folded at halftime after being down 11, went out there, absolutely balled out, had himself a game, and, you know, it has done more for the Bengals than Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton have done in their tenures, and it's been year 1.5, basically. It's insane. Exactly. Yeah, no, even, I I think I've kind of expressed this over the last few episodes, but even as a diehard Steelers fan, there is not a thing I have against Joe Burrow except those those two wins against the Steelers. Um, that that's it. This dude is likable. This dude is fun to watch. He has so many weapons around him, and it, it's great because we talk about how Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes might be the new Brady Manning rivalry, but we always forget that there was a Ben Roethlisberger in that mix as well throughout the course of the years. That might now be Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's role can be the guy that maybe isn't going to be there every single year, but when he's there, that team is there to win it all. That's what this Bengals team feels like right now. This feels like a team that could not possibly be any more in sync as a unit. We're going to see them have one last chance at glory, one more shot to, to make it only 11 teams that haven't won a Super Bowl. Any other storylines before the NFC? I just think part of this too, though, we talked last week about the potential of adding some sort of new overtime rules into playoffs. I think this game kind of put that to bed mm-hmm. and not to say there was any legitimate talks about it, but th- what the Bengals did, I mean, you know, granted maybe it was a little bit lucky. The ball got deflected, went to the defender, but Hey, I, that's kind of the beauty of overtime. And, you know, chiefs had a shot, you know, everyone probably thought they were going to go score and go to the Super Bowl, but didn't. And, you know, I applaud the Bengals. I think something else, though, the D-line in the second half played excellent to give Mahomes, to put pressure on Mahomes, you know. And at the end of the game, almost won it by fumbling, which was even more insane. Finally, though, the O-line of the Bengals, which is probably their weakest part of their team, they held up pretty well. And granted, Joe Burrow got them out of some tough times. There was the one play where he almost got sacked by Chris Jones and like kind of juked him out and got a first down a run, kind of like Josh Allen the prior week. He played excellent. That O-line, though, played as good as I would have expected them to play and probably even better. So props to them for that fact. Finally, just uh, happy the Mahomes family, and not necessarily Patrick. I think he's a good guy, but I don't have to see any toxic TikToks. Nope. I don't have to see any just – there's nothing wrong with being passionate about your brother and your fiancé or future husband in this case from both Jackson Mahomes – or sorry, Jackson Mahomes and what will be Brittany Mahomes. To me, though, it's just so over the top, and it's they're unlikable because mm-hmm. of how just – in your face they are about rubbing in, they're going to win. It's not like a Kelly Stafford, which we're going to get to shortly. And granted, there's you know a whole lot of differences there. But to me, it's like, I, I venture to say that this offseason and next year, we're going to hear less of Jackson and Brittany. I think Patrick's going to have a talk about them calming down. And if he doesn't, I think there's going to be more and more problems that will just kind of slowly grow in the future. We're going to call this phenomenon the juju effect. Of course. <laughs> All right. But yes, no, no Kansas City, no Mahomes of any variety will be playing in the Super Bowl. 
we, you talk about that Bengals O-line playing at their best despite not being the strongest unit. They are going to have to continue to play at their absolute best based off of their Super Bowl matchup. Let's get to that NFC Championship game between division rivals, the six-seeded San Francisco 49ers, and the four-seeded Los Angeles Rams. Based off this playoffs, did you expect the game to be any different than, than a three-point victory? No, it was going to be a close game regardless. and a gritty defensive grudge match like we had talked about very 30 total points definitely hit the under in that game <laughs> it, exciting game definitely not as captivating as the AFC game in my opinion but still a great game definitely a great watch but this literally goes back to just everything we said where I don't know if it's Kyle Shannon I don't know if it's Jimmy Garoppolo but it felt like the 49ers should have won that game mm-hmm. and they did everything in their power to blow that and well, well I, I immediately wrote down this this concept. So for, for, first of all, LA was victorious in this game. Matt Gay hit a game-winning field goal to, to win it 20 to 17 to move the Rams to the Super Bowl. I want to talk about the 49ers though, because we definitely mentioned it uh, on a previous episode, and it, it seemed so clearly obvious when watching that game. And it's that if anybody better than Jimmy Garoppolo was the San Francisco quarterback, they would be the team moving on to playing the Bengals in the Super Bowl. And, and it was, you know, you blame, blame the coach if you need to. There's always blame there. But Jimmy G simply just couldn't get it done at certain times. I, I, I give this guy a lot of credit because I think he can be a very good quarterback. But he just, I don't know if it was unhealthy. I don't know if I'm just wrong at this point. But he, he didn't play well. It was... If you were to play, you can't place all of the blame on one person, but but the majority of the blame, in my opinion, does go to Jimmy G here because it was just very clear he was the issue. He was not get you know not a very mobile quarterback to begin with, throwing inaccurate passes, not making great decisions. It all comes back in the end, and your, your team had ample opportunities to to take advantage of certain situations. They just couldn't do it. He couldn't he couldn't get it done. We, we talk about if Rodgers was on the 49ers, like if Rodgers was on the 49ers, this is a blowout and they're going to the Super Bowl. Like that's, that's how large this discrepancy is right now. That's how big of an impact a quarterback can have on a game. The concerning part is I've almost spoken that into existence, which we'll talk about shortly, but <laughs> let's a few things. Cooper Cup had a monster game, and it is clear to say that he is a very vital, important part to that Rams team. Cooper Cup is the best receiver in football. Devontae Adams is not in his league anymore. You know, I I go back and forth about this, because Cooper Cup will just rip defenses apart, like fast, electric player. Devontae Adams, though... If you wanted a one-on-one jump ball, I feel like I'd want Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins over Cooper Cup. And that's completely different. This year in football, Cooper Cup is the best wide receiver, hands down. And there's even a potential. In certain situations, I mean, in in, in a jump ball in the back of the end zone, I'd rather have Chase Claypool than Cooper Cup just because he's four inches taller. Like, you know, but, but in terms of getting the job done, in terms of receiving yards, receptions, touchdowns, game impact, it's Cooper Cup, especially, but you know, it's, it's been one year. Yeah. It, but, but as of right now, that's kind of where I lie in Cooper Cup's impact has been felt in every single playoff game. The Rams, the Rams have had played this year. 100%. But would you say that also comes down to the fact that the receiving core of the Rams, you have Cooper Cup, who's you know been awesome this year and has been, you had Robert Woods. We'll just ignore him in this case, mm-hmm. but still a good receiver. Van Jefferson, who's a, 
excellent slot receiver. You have Tyler Higby, and then, of course, the addition of Odell this year. I think that does a lot where you can't just double Cooper Cup. Right. Because on the Packers side, you may have arguably one of the best skilled quarterbacks of all time, but Stevante Adams, and then you have men like Alan Lazard and Valdez Scantling. Not a whole lot there in terms mm-hmm. of fear from a defense as much as Devontae Adams. No, you're you're, you're definitely right. There, there, there's a difference there because, yeah, teams can afford to double Devontae Adams more more than they can Cooper Cup just based off of, yeah, the, the core other than those two players. And that's why, you know, I kind of gave it the asterisk of, of this year because we need to see what Cooper Cup can continue to do. We don't know if they're going to bring back Odell. We don't know if Robert Woods is going to be ready to go in the beginning of the year. Maybe we get to see a world where, where Cooper Cup really is the true and only guy for a little while maybe we never see that, but Cooper cup just continues to, to be on this torrid run that he has been. I really don't know, but just, you know, I, I really just think that, I don't know, Cooper cup speed, his ability to just kind of lose the defense, not, not just get past them to, to be in a play where the defense is just nowhere around him. That factor is so blown up for him for whatever reason. He's just so good at just completely making the defense look lost. Whereas, Devontae Adams is tip, you know, typically what you would look for in an excellent in top tier receiver. He is, he is no question in this conversation, but just the thing that Cooper, things that Cooper Cup have been able to do, maybe it's the offense that he's just in right now, but I, I don't know. I just, there, there's just something about him almost indescribable. It's like that it factor in the NBA, you know, you know how someone has just like the clutch gene. It's, it's almost quite like that where it's just hard to describe, but you just kind of see it when you watch him. And he just has this this energy, this vibe about him that makes him unstoppable. Yeah, and they played excellent. They needed him. This game, almost barbaric in a sense, where there was just a like it was a good gritty rivalry, and there were a lot of pretty. It felt like football, probably from fifteen years ago, where people right. were getting laid out. A um, few things. There was uh, the interception at the beginning of the game. Matthew Stafford threw in the back of the end zone, got tipped, and the 49ers ran it back. Uh, Fred Warner absolutely lit up Matt Stafford, like very much illegally, like kind of a cheap shot. Definitely should have been a penalty, probably like even one of those that one more and you're ejected type deals. But uh, hey, you know, missed call, and Matthew Stafford definitely had it in his mind that he wanted to make them pay. Uh, Debo Samuel got lit up multiple times. Mm-hmm. Every time he'd go across the middle, it was three hits to his chest. And those, a lot of them were legal hits. Odell had an insane game. He got hit a few times, but they were actually getting called because some of them were like really high in helmet hits. Finally, though, probably midway or early in the fourth quarter, Matt Stafford decided, either they were on 10, decided to bomb the ball down the field when they were down. He threw it in a double coverage, like way overthrew his receiver. The 49ers quarterback, a tart, literally could have intercepted it, came right to him, and he dropped it. And that was a big turning point for the game because I imagine we picked that and they were able to score. That would have been it. Yeah. Well, that requires Jimmy G to drive down the field. <laughs> right. But I'm pretty sure on that possession, they end up scoring, which puts them at, or ooh, that may have been the tying one. And then they got the ball back and kicked the mm-hmm. field goal. I could be dead wrong about that. But in short, 
missed opportunity there. I don't blame him in the slightest. I mean, that defense, for the most part, played as well as it could have. There's a lot of weapons there. And, you know, only letting him put 17 points, or sorry, 20 points up. To me, they did their job. The offense for the 49ers just didn't. Yeah, it's kind of where we're at. It, yeah. The 49ers, for what it was worth, had as good of a season as they – it was blew away expectations. Yes, Going I, to the NFC Championship and being that close, incredible. You know, I don't mean to discredit my opinions here, but I also believe that I predicted the 49ers to lose their division. Where they did get third in their division, they did make it all the way to the NFC Championship. So, again, I, I can accept when I was wrong. And they, they had – a sensational turnaround about halfway through the season, but Debo Samuel, I want to talk about him for a second. He has established himself as a top tier receiver in this league as well. Not even just receiver though. They use him out of the backfield as a running back and on gadget plays. He is just an excellent all around football player. And usually in a tough playoff loss, you'll see one guy on every team. It was, it was Stefan Diggs for the bills. Just kind of sits on the field for a little while, soaking it all in. It was Debo Samuel this year uh, for the 49ers. You, you can see the emotion just running at that point. But you know, as a fan, as someone who's seen tons and tons of players go through this before, that this is a crucial part of getting better for Debo Samuel. I, I always say in the NBA that you're never going to, you, you never really get to the point of being a, a peak NBA championship, you know, consistent player like LeBron until you've lost a couple. You just need to know what that feels like. You, you need to know what it's like to lose that important game before you know how much more of yourself you have to give up to win that game. This was an important moment for Debo Samuel. He is going to do everything he can to keep the 49ers in position to come back to this game in the coming years during his career. And I wanted to, to just shout that out for a second because he had, he had himself just a spectacular season all around. Um, but LA, the moves they made, they paid off bringing in Ramsey last year, bringing in Von Miller, bringing in Odell Beckham, bringing in Stafford in the offseason. Everything has worked out so far. They have now, they're now just one game away from all of these things being proven as the correct decision to be made. They have given up so many draft picks. They have given up all of their future basically for this year and maybe next. And it's working. It is working great. And now the reason I talked about the Bengals offensive line having to play their very best, you got to go against Von Miller. You got to go against Aaron Donald. That is not an easy task to go up against in what's going to be, I assume, their entire offensive line's first Super Bowl. That's a, that's a tall order. They, they can do it. I'm not denying that, but that's a, that's a tall order. This Rams team was literally built to win a Super Bowl, and now they're here. What, what a ride for them. I mean, seriously, going from Jared Goff's miserable Super Bowl performance a few years back to what I have to assume is being the Super Bowl favorites. The only person on that Super Bowl team who had a good performance, though, was Johnny Hacker. Correct. Johnny Hacker would have been their MVP if they found a way to win. I was rooting for that halfway through the game because it was <laughs> dismal. Uh, one thing, though, that Rams defense in the second half and when they were losing really stepped up. There's a scene of Aaron Donald talking to his team on the sideline, like really trying, like, we're here, let's go get it. And I think that made a difference. From what I gather, Aaron Donald is not a vocal leader. He is a I'm going to lead by example type mm -hmm. leader. And I think that vocal sort of, hey, we need to do something, like really kicked everyone to high gear. And, you know, that's what leaders do. They do what's called upon them in the moment and props to him. I like th while the offense, you know, came through that defense needed to also have a pretty stellar performance from what, you know, there's Jimmy G, but you still got to worry about Debo, Brandon mm -hmm. Ayuk, um, 
all of, they have a lot of weapons on offense besides them. So impressive, impressive performance. Yeah, with the Super Bowl. Uh, with with Donald, I, I've I've made a few bold claims on this show about how I believe that TJ Watt is the best defensive player in football. I will say this: if the Rams win the Super Bowl and Aaron Donald becomes a Super Bowl champion, he will, no question in my mind, be the best defensive player in football. Yeah. 100%. That, that is inarguable in my mind. That is something TJ Watt has not sniffed. But future's bright for both of them. And yeah, here we are. The Super Bowl that I don't think anyone really could have predicted all the way through. Not to say <laughs> you know, the Rams were definitely one that was always in the talks with the Stafford trade. But so Rams, Bengals, the Rams are favored by four. I think the over-under is 48 and a half. I will double-check this because it's been up for days at this point. Sure. I, I want to talk about something funny. So as we know, the game is in L.A., uh, but the Rams, based off of the every other year, are technically the road team this year. Um, so Cincinnati will, will be home in the new L.A. stadium. It's kind of goofy, but that's just the rule of the NFL. They're, I, I can't remember exactly what they said that the change is going to be, but they are trying to make a rule to avoid this because now we've had two straight seasons where a Super Bowl team is playing in their home stadium last year, Tampa Bay, this year, the Rams. Um, so th- so they're, they're working on on a fix for this to make this not as likely as a scenario because obviously you want to have the Super Bowl in nice big you know, media venues where you can have lots of celebrities, lots of lots of people come to to the game. You want it to be in a nice place for the players, but also you don't want it to be in a place where someone's going to have an unfair advantage. So, you know, maybe so, that's why the Super Bowl tickets are so expensive. So Rams fans can't go to the game. But <laughs> Well, there's not a whole lot of them, so it won't matter for them. True. But <laughs> I did hear about a solution for this. It just got announced like for the Super Bowl stadium, they've NFL has decided that every Super Bowl will be hosted at uh, AT&T Stadium for the Dallas Cowboys because <laughs> they're not going to make it. That's not my joke. That's been passed around the past few days after, you know, this whole shebang with the Rams and the Bucks from last year. But I thought that was pretty funny. What can go wrong will go wrong for the Dallas Cowboys. And that makes me happy. Indeed. And listen to this podcast right here to make sure you're ahead of the game on all that. Cause we're, we're prepared for it, um, but yeah, the, the NFL have some rule. Probably they just won't pick the venue until maybe toward in the playoffs or something like that. Who knows? We'll see what happens, but either way, Bengals Rams. I apologize. Give me, give me the uh, numbers on the spread again. Yeah. Yeah. So Rams are favored by four. So Rams minus four over under 48 and a half. Okay. That, that one's interesting because the Bengals have been hot offensively. The Rams have been oddly cold, so I'm not immediately tempted to take the over. Um, but I, I refuse to do anything that's four because every game has come down to a field goal, it seems like, in this postseason so far. I don't honestly know if I think the Bengals are going to win this one. I've been predicting the last few weeks that I think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but now really staring this matchup in the face, this Rams team looks just tough. And like I said, that week O-line versus Donald Miller and and the lot. I'm going to say the Rams, but the Bengals are very, very likely going to cover that spread. I have a few thoughts. Uh, Last year when we talked about this, we were definitely split. And I thought the Chiefs are going to win. You said the Bucks, Bucks crushed in their home stadium. Now, granted, Mahomes didn't have his O line, mm-hmm. uh, but with that being said, it's kind of a similar situation where you have a really good defense 
versus a really good offense, and that really good defense also has a very good offense. Historically, i.e. Seahawks versus Broncos, last year is another good one. Usually it's that team who has a very good defense who ends up winning. I think the Rams are going to win, unfortunately. I am, will be rooting for the Bengals. Myself as I, well. I, I'm going to say Rams minus four. I think they can win by a touchdown even more. It's just the fact they're in their home stadium too. I know. And the Bengals are so young. If this game that, was in the middle of the United States, I would feel a lot more comfortable taking the Bengals to win. But, ah, man, anywhere on the West Coast in general, I would have picked the Rams. And then the, their home steep stadium, like just – it's that extra comfort factor, even if they're the weird scenario where they're forced to use the visitor's locker room, like whatever, like they're, you know, they're going to be fine. They're going to, they're going to warm up like it's every day, every day of the week. That 40 and a half, oh boy. That's, that's tough. <laughs> I could literally see it being 28, 21. I, I have to say over just because I'd imagine that the Bengals defense will try and stifle the Rams, but there's a lot of weapons there. I'm sure they'll score some touchdowns. I'm sure Matt Stafford will have a good game. Uh, but, you know, can their question is, can the Bengals score enough? And I'm going to trust Joe Burrow here to be able to throw some touchdowns and Ed McPherson to kick some field goals. I'm, I'm going to pick the under here, under the understanding that most people on the Bengals, oh, excuse me, just about everybody on the Bengals, this will be their first Super Bowl. And most of the important players on the Rams, this is their first offense, at least this is their first Super Bowl. Um, and I expect some shaky starts. That's kind of what I'm saying here. Just uh, maybe a few, the first few possessions, at least the first possession each, maybe both teams don't score. Maybe only one team scores, something like that. Just kind of slow start. I'm expecting it to pick up, no question, but maybe not till late in the second quarter, the second half. So I, I will uncomfortably say the under in this game. Lock of the century, though, Cam Akers over 0.5 fumbles. If that's a thing you can bet on, definitely bet on that. Um, uh, ask your Kansas City Chiefs friends what to bet on the coin toss. They they have an inside scoop on this thing. Um, yeah, make sure you make sure you fill out your prop bets. You get your Super Bowl squares in. It's going to be a fun Super Bowl. Bengals trying to win their very first. Rams trying to bounce back after the loss to the Patriots a few years ago. Very exciting. Should we uh, – I know we both just picked the Rams, but do, I, I will pick the Bengals for the sake of if we want to make a friendly wager on the bet. Yeah, I'd do it. Well, what are we feeling from last year, 5 or 10? Let's go – I won last year. I'm feeling pretty good. Let's go 10. All right, we'll do 10. <laughs> I'll take the Rams. I will be okay. Believe me, I will be more than okay if the Bengals win. I will be pretty ecstatic paying that $10. Uh, so, yeah, there's our friendly bets. I guess in the spirit of things, let's do some more degenerate prop bets. <laughs> Color of Gatorade for the winner. What's going to get poured on the coach? Red. I'm feeling like a... I think Lemon Lime doesn't hold up very well to the camera. <laughs> I'm feeling... I'm feeling like a blue, like a glacier blue kind of glacier thing. Glacier blue. All right, all right. I see you. Red, though, I can see, though, because last year everyone was like, it's going to be red because either the Bucks or the Chiefs, and it was I think it was orange. Yeah, and I'm just like, the Bengals won't do orange. That's just too on the nose. Actually, I'm going purple. I think purple is, uh, like, kind of fun. Yeah. Lemon Lime's the smart choice, but no one will do that because I don't think it holds up well against, like, backgrounds. There you have it, though. Uh, and coin toss, heads or tails? 
what are the Chiefs in picking? I'll go heads. I'll go heads. I'm gonna say tails. Tails never fails. I don't. I think that's what the Chiefs were not picking. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I think they were picking heads. That's why I'm going with it. I look forward to seeing Pat McAfee putting like forty thousand dollars in the coin toss because he did that last year and lost. <laughs> Who knows this year, but uh, that's always an exciting one. If you're one of those bettors who hates sweating bets, it gets over pretty quick. So you can mm-hmm. you know, deal with anything. All right. If, uh, tweet at us with any of your uh, favorite prop bets. We'll try. Maybe we'll make, maybe make a poll or something like that, or we'll bring up some in our next episode. But that that's what we got for the playoffs and the Super Bowl predictions. Game is next week. We're recording on the day of the Pro Bowl. So in exactly one week from today, the Super Bowl will be here. So get excited for that, especially for the Bengals and the Rams fans out there. All right. We were talking about the coaching vacancies in the NFL. Uh, Black Monday is coming gone. We are now in the point of hiring. Basically, every team has gotten to hiring a head coach but before we get into that we are going to talk about former Dolphins coach Brian Flores. Brian Flores was kind of one of the the surprising uh, fires of this past season. Not that the Dolphins had a sensational year by any means but most people consider Flores to be a pretty solid head coach just based off the success he has had with that unimpressive Dolphins team. Brian Flores is suing the NFL over um like basically rate racism in the hiring process among coaches and general managers uh, of such he's using uh, text messages that he's had between Bill Belichick as some evidence he's using the concept that there is currently only one African-American head coach in the entire NFL that is Mike Tomlin of the Steelers lot lots of things and then all it, it also felt like to him that and from what you know I've been able to read it kind of kind of feels true that all of his interviews were essentially proxy interviews. They were just, we don't want to say no, but we're not going to hire you. We're going to give you this courtesy interview and then we're going to hire this guy that we already decided we were going to do two days ago. That is kind of what he's bringing up here as unfair and a bit racist. So he, he is suing the NFL right now. Roger Goodell did come out with a statement earlier today saying the NFL does need to do better in terms of, hiring uh, African-Americans and, and just diversity in general in, in the front offices and in the coaching systems. So we will see what has changed, how the NFL continues to hold their equality standards up, uh, what happens with this lawsuit. But I wanted to bring that up first before we name all of the head coaches, if you're going to kind of sense a pattern here um, that, that got hired. So given that, uh, also Byron Leftwich was at one point favored to be the Jacksonville head coach he pulled his name out maybe not entirely for this there was also some issues between him and the GM of Jacksonville that seemed to probably play a larger role in his decision to pull out but who knows what also affected it um but let's start there with Jacksonville that was the most recent head coach signing former Super Bowl head coach for the Eagles Doug Peterson is back in the league as the Jaguars new head coach uh, big shoes to fill is Urban Meyer is the fifth winningest head coach in Jacksonville Jaguars history, being that he was just the sixth coach to ever coach there. Uh, Doug Peterson now seven, so not not a whole lot of expectations there, but young quarterback, young young squad. Doug Peterson, another shot in the league. We'll see what he's able to do there. Um, th- th- this I actually thought was a pretty good signing. I think I thought Doug Peterson deserved to be back in the league. Agreed. And if there's anyone who can help Trevor Lawrence develop, I really do think it's Doug Peterson. 
you can say what you want about Carson Wentz and how his development ended up going, but I, Doug Peterson, being that he's offensive-minded, he was under Andy Reid's tutelage, he led the Eagles to a Super Bowl. It is such a better signing than Urban Meyer, and I, I'm excited to see what he does. I will be passively rooting for the Jaguars, but you know, just because I like Doug Peterson. No, I agree. I did this, this, I'm, I'm glad the Byron left thing was left less about the, the racial aspect and more just about discourse with the GM, because I did think Byron left, would be a pretty good coach, but I'm also quite happy that Doug Peterson is in, in another good situation. Cause I always liked Doug Peterson as a coach. Yeah. That's not a bad one. I like Doug Peterson's qualified. It was honestly kind of surprising. He wasn't in the league last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that one, that one seems logical. I have no problem with it and we'll see what he does. Yes, sir. Let's get to one that some people might have some problems with. Uh, the Raiders decided to bring in Patriots offense coordinator Josh McDaniels. I've seen lots of people praise this. I've seen lots of people give hate to this one. I personally don't understand it very much. Um, I have always seen Josh McDaniels as a very underwhelming assistant coach in the Patriots system. He just happened to have Tom Brady. Last year, they definitely impressed uh, just based off of how young they were and how the expectations were were kept low for them. But in terms of running his own squad, I'm concerned. I think this Raiders team is a team that desperately needs a strong head coach, a strong locker room presence, and I can't guarantee that that's what Josh McDaniels is. Um, I don't think they're going to, like, collapse by any means. I just don't necessarily know if they're going to make the playoffs this next year. But also we'll see. The Raiders surprised us all season. Maybe – I would I would hope they know a little more than we do, but – Maybe this does fit a little better than, you know, for what at first glance kind of seems. I think to calm yourself, though, about it, like this signing is a, I think, a boom or a bust. And you're not wrong with the strong locker room presence. I think that does help. And doing the Osaka, their interim coach, would have maybe made sense, too, because, you know, he was able to kind of steady the ship and take them to the playoffs. With that being said, though, McDaniels, well, he has had Tom Brady. He had a great year this year. And I think you got to give him a shot just to see what happens. I mean, you have Darren Waller, you have Josh Jacobs, even Derek Carr. and You have a lot of weapons on offense. Why not give it a try and do it with an offensive-minded coach? I like it. There's also been a few hirings in the Raiders that have been like assistant coaches, I think assistant GMs even. They seem to be restructuring, and I think for the better – I like it for now, that, but it is such a boomer bust type thing where they could be phenomenal or they could be absolutely awful. And you know, I could very much – I don't think they're going to be mediocre, put it that way. But they're in a tough division, so I tend to believe they're going to struggle for maybe a year or two. That, that's interesting because I, I aggressively think they're going to be average. I think they're going to be like eight and nine, just, just miss out on the playoffs, and everyone's going to be like, well – do we need to move on from Derek Carr? Do we need to upgrade something else? Like, like just, it's just going to be kind of a repeat. Just they don't make the playoffs. Like nothing's really going to happen. They're just going to be a little bit worse than last year. And that could definitely be true where they do that. But I imagine that they'll be in a bunch of games and you're going to have McDaniels coaching kind of like Brandon Staley, where he's trying to, you know, be a savant. He's trying to use the analytics, trying to, do all this stuff and trying to just go and win the game. And they kind of lose some judging by just the caliber of their team. So I, I don't think they're going to do well because that is an ungodly awful division to be in right now, but it, I, I like it. I think 
you know, depending on how Derek Carr does, maybe upgrading the QB slots. Mm-hmm. You have to give him two years, put it that way. And I don't know if Derek Carr leaving is like kind of a catalyst for that second year. So we'll see. We will see. But that was the Raiders' decision. Moving forward, the New York Giants hire Brian Dowell, the head coach, or excuse me, the head coach, the former offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, now the head coach of the Giants. This was the hiring that the text message uh, thing came with Brian Flores and Bill Belichick came up. I'm not going to get into that whole thing right now, but just for the record, that's that that was about this Giants job. Um, but Dabble comes in after pretty good year with the Bills, uh, pretty good tenure with the Bills in these last few years. Um, it was an interesting hire to me. At first, I was like, I have no idea who this is, and this sounds like a terrible hiring because it's the Giants. I looked into it a little bit, learned where he came from, learned a little bit about him. I actually am intrigued by it. I can't. I do not want to make any guarantees that this is a good hire, but – it's interesting because the Giants, I feel like the last few years have had defensive heavy coordinator or, uh, head coaches def- leaning leaning more towards trying. You know, ne- neither offense nor defense has worked well for them these last few years, but I've always felt like they leaned towards defense. This is very much leaning towards offense, which I actually think is the right call. You need to give Daniel Jones one more year to see if he's your guy or not. You need to get an offensive line to protect your only good offensive weapon in Saquon Barkley. And you need to... I mean, Kenny Galladay is a good receiver who had a miserable season. Sterling Shepard is, is a pretty good receiver. Like, you have some weapons there. It's not the worst offense in the league based on, like, on paper. But they need somebody that can just tell them how to play, essentially. And I think Dabo might actually might actually fit that bill pretty well. It's, I think, a good hire for what the Giants' situation is. What intrigues me is, though, he's like, yeah, we're going to go with Daniel Jones as our guy, and I think that's a mistake, but he also can't admit that like it was a bad draft pick. In short, I think it'll be good long-term if they keep him, but I can imagine some discourse there. And It was a good hire, but who knows? Giants are kind of a dumpster fire right now. Yeah, it's not going to make or break their season, but it might give them a win or two more than this past year. All right, moving on. This, in my opinion, was no question the worst hiring by far the Chicago Bears bringing in Indianapolis defense coordinator Matt Eberflus um basically this is my point Matt Eberflus was the defensive coordinator of a team that had a win and into the playoffs and they not only lost to the worst team in football they got killed by the worst team in football meaning when it matters most this coach did not know how to get things done this, this is literally like rehiring Matt Nagy in my head. This is the exact same coach, just a different name and a slightly different resume. I, I actually think the Bears might be the worst team in football next year, if not the worst, one of the worst. They're going to be in the top five for the draft pick. This was I, – I have no idea why they did this. I, I really don't. I can't think of one good thing that this guy is going to bring, other than he might be a little bit better than Matt Nagy. Is he young? I think he's younger than Matt Nagy. <laughs> the only, this is, I, I don't think it's a good hire either. In fact, I only saw it and thought it was kind of a half-baked joke. <laughs> the trend in the NFL is finding young coordinators to then hopefully guide your franchise for a number of years. McVay, Shanahan, LaFleur, so on and so forth. I mean, Sirianni is kind of being bred to do that as well. Maybe that was the intention, but yeah. To be fair, though, the 
Colts' defense, exclude the last game, like choking, awful, whatever, they have been consistently good. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they have people like Darius Leonard, and they have a very they have a very strong core defensively. That is a little bit questionable right now in the Bears. Maybe there's some hope there, but yeah, I don't think it was the right hire. Um, I, I agree, but who knows? And bad hire, especially out of the ones that they have now. But the Indianapolis coaching staff is getting poached in a lot of places. So. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. He didn't have a bad year. I, I really brought it up as just like, I, when I think about somebody who I want to be as a leader, I want someone who can come up in the big moments. And he very much fell flat in this big moment. I'm not trying to base his entire career on one game, but in terms of promoting you to a head coach, I, I would have saw that as a red flag. That's just my opinion. But he doesn't have Carson Wentz anymore. So maybe that's a positive. That is a very exceedingly valid point. He does have Nick Foles though that's that's a good that's a big plus that's a that's a huge uh hit in the pro column all right moving on one last head coach was hired so far that was for the denver broncos bringing in the packers offensive coordinator nathaniel hackett seems like a pretty good signing they're a team that needs to work on offense they're probably going to replace teddy bridgewater this offseason our good friend from the box office qb seemed pretty pretty satisfied in this hiring i think it was his top choice so you know congratulations there you got got your head coach um the broncos were oddly good this year for trading von miller for having a weird offense that's young and or just not good in certain spots um you know i don't necessarily want to say they're going to be a playoff team right off the bat but i think this is going to be their head coach for a little bit i think they might have found their guy for the time being and if they can get a good quarterback if they I think they need to move on from Melvin Gordon and fully commit to Javante Williams at running back. And I think they need to rebuild their defense just a bit, but they're in a good, they're, they're not in as bad of a spot as they probably should be right now. And that's, that's a very good, that's gotta be a very good feeling for Broncos fans. Tough division though, kind of going yeah. back to the Raiders point. Uh, but yeah, I think he, he's interesting. He definitely, if there's a coach that reminds me of Ted Lasso, <laughs> that's, he's the guy, he's a little goofy, but in a good way, not like a Dan Campbell kind of like almost, like this is kind of sad goofy (laughs) it's i think it's a good signing it'll be intriguing especially since you know being under as the oc of the rogers led packers and rogers having so much success in that offense i'd give it a shot it it wasn't someone that had on my radar as a coach but i don't think it's a bad one and he seems like much like ted lasso a guy who's got a lot of experience and someone who may be able to give some wisdom here or there so it's funny you say that because the whole concept of the show is the fact that he has no experience in his sport but then just has it just gets better it's no it's just funny <laughs> he has experience in life which yeah. is the whole goldfish scene with sam beautiful and if you haven't seen ted lasso please watch it it's a phenomenal show the only downside is on apple tv mm-hmm. which no one uses <laughs> you can work around that though that's not too hard all right, those are the head coaching uh, vacancies that were filled. Obviously, if anything else changes, we will keep you posted. We're going to move oh, on. Wait, those. Wait. What? Isn't the, didn't the Vikings hire someone? I didn't see that, but maybe, maybe I missed that. I thought the Vikings were either close. So, the, the, okay, the Vikings have not hired him officially, but they will hire Kevin O'Connell, who is okay. – the Rams offensive coordinator. 
he just has 36 to 36 years old. Yeah, he just has to wait until the Rams aren't in the playoffs anymore. Bingo. Yep. Makes Young sense. guy. There you go. So that that's it then. That's the final hiring. That was the last spot. So with that, we're going to move forward then here. Um, the Washington football team did officially pick a new name. They were, will no longer be the Redskins, no longer be the football team. They are now the Washington Commanders. It's bad. It's not as bad as it could be. It's not as good as it could be. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have any strong opinions on this. I just, it's news. There you go. New, new football name in the league. It, it could have been like a high school mascot name. Like it, it, it doesn't pop. I actually like football team better. That's not too. me trying to be sarcastic. I'm going to continue to call them the football team as some people continue to call them the Redskins as some people will start to call them the commanders. They are Washington's football team. That is where we're at. All right. Last week or maybe two weeks ago, we talked about how Ben Roethlisberger was more than likely going to retire. He did officially retire. I don't know if we had specifically said that, but it was pretty much implied. The bigger retirement in the NFL is the greatest franchise of all time. Tom Brady has in fact decided to call it a career after some weird situation last week where he was reported. And then he said he was going to make his decision on his own. Brady has announced his retirement from football, seven Super Bowls, the greatest football player of all time. No question. The greatest quarterback of all time, more Super Bowls than any team, any franchise has. He's got everybody beat. Not to overshadow someone like Ben Roethlisberger, but I mean, Ben Roethlisberger falls in the rank of like top 25 to to 40 quarterbacks of all time. Tom Brady literally is the top of the list. There is nobody ahead of him. And that's why this is is such such an impactful moment. This is like Michael Jordan retiring. This is, this is the GOAT retiring. This is the best at the, at the point in time, calling it a career, 22 seasons, three different, you could break his career into three different hall of fame careers. That's how dominant he was for how long. It's time for him to be a uh, focus more on being a husband, being a father. It was an educated decision that he came to with his family. I don't think anybody can blame him for it. Um, but now, now this is the time to remember Tom Brady's career fondly and rejoice because in five years he will be in Cannes with them. Yeah, our first first episode, we did a GOAT debate between Tom Brady and I believe it was Aaron Rodgers on your end. Undisputed GOAT. For football, as now, while he's caused us a lot of torment the past few years, it is something that, honestly, I was like kind of bummed to see when he retired. And it, we watched 20-plus years of greatness. I mean, I started watching football when I was – must have been three years old, I think, because I thought the Carolina Panthers were the Carolina Pantries because I thought that word was an awesome word. It's from Stuart Little video game. We, weird segue, but – I am proud to have watched such an illustrious career. I, I will always hate Tom Brady for some of the joy he's taken away from me. More so, though, for causing Boston fans so much joy that they've just become insufferable. That's not his fault, though. You, you at least as an Eagles fan get a little bit, though, because you beat him in a Super Bowl. That's got to feel pretty damn good. Feels good. That was actually just yes or two days ago, the four-year anniversary of that, which feels awesome damn. to say. Tom Brady, good luck in retirement. You know, illustrious career will not even be debated for the Hall of Fame. And yeah, that's all I have to say. Great career. Thank you. It, it's almost like Tom Brady's name doesn't need to be on the ballot for the Hall of Fame because there's no one that's going to vote him out. There's not a single person. God, no. But yes, congratulations to Tom Brady. 
on a fan, I was going to say fantastic and fabulous, fantabulous career. That's what you get, a whole new word. All right. With that, we are going to segue into the NBA. We're going to, we have a few base storyline topics that we're going to try and breeze through here so we don't keep you guys forever because we also have all-stars to talk about. And this will be our last episode before the NBA trade deadline on February 10th. So let's get into it. Let's start with the continued Ben Simmons saga. Few updates there, especially with the trade deadline looming. The Sacramento Kings, who had seemed to be the front runners at a point in time, have pulled out of the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. They no longer are in active talks with the Sixers. It seems as if they are no longer interested in moving either Fox or Maxi in a Ben Simmons, or not Maxi, excuse me, Fox or Halliburton in a Ben Simmons deal. So that has stalled. However, conversations with Brooklyn have in fact picked up over a James Harden deal. It is very unlikely that it's going to get done before the trade deadline in just four days. But the Nets have opened up the, the, the conversation ways for that to happen. Sixers have made it clear they do not want to make this a multi-asset trade. This will simply be a Ben Simmons, James Harden swap of sorts with minimal other parts involved, draft picks probably. Um, but again, that is much more likely just because of how the, the short time frame you have to work with, much more likely to happen in the offseason. You can really lay out a plan. Um, and especially if the Nets don't win a title, we assume Harden's going to leave regardless. So, and, and it allows us more of a sign and trade, which gives Harden some more leisure on a contract, which probably he favors. Um, but we'll see what happens. Houston also came out and said they would welcome back James Harden if the situation ever arose. I do not believe that will, that will occur, but uh, that's where the Sixers are. So again, I would not keep your hopes up that he's going to get traded before the deadline, but if it does happen, it's going to be to Brooklyn for James Harden. Spot on analysis. I 100% agree where it, he's not getting traded before, is it Tuesday? It's the, it's the 10th. I think it's Thursday. Okay. So if he's not getting traded before either of those days anyway. Uh, yeah. If Brooklyn does not win a championship and right now they're not trending in that direction, Grand Kevin Durant's been hurt, James Harden will be out. <clears throat> 100%. Yeah. And that's where the opportunity is going to present itself. I'd imagine Brooklyn, while, you know, I'm sure the Sixers want to do some sort of James Harden, Ben Simmons swap with some picks. I imagine there will be some sort of player thrown in there. I don't think it's a Maxi or a Thibault, but a Danny Green type player, like something mm -hmm. to add more depth to the Nets lacking area, which is depth. Yeah. In, in, a, in a week or two here, I'm going to do a comparison between this current Nets team and the old big heat, uh, big three heat teams. And yeah, the, the something, one of the major differences is the lack of depth that the Brooklyn Nets team has currently. And yeah, no. So, so something like getting like a Danny green, maybe someone who's not the best player anymore, but he's been there and he's a veteran player. That's going to be better than almost any bench player they're throwing out right now. Other than Patty Mills. We love Patty Mills. I do love Patty Mills. It, it this is the best case scenario, though, as a Sixers fan. I'm not saying James Harden is like your savior to win a title. I, I don't think so, especially at this point. Two years ago, you know, maybe, but it's intriguing. And for what Ben Simmons has done this season, which is AK zero, getting James Harden out of that, you have his contract, but it's still such an upgrade to zero. So people should like. Will he be the savior? No, but any Sixers fan who's like, I don't want James Harden, he's not going to win us a title. I don't know. Like, you have a diminishing asset here in Ben Simmons. You get what you can, and James Harden is like 
that's a pretty solid return, all things considered. I saw this one really stupid comment on Twitter either today or last night. It was that if Harden and Embiid do team up, that that would be the best duo since Shaq and Kobe. And I would like to remind people that Kevin Durant and Steph Curry played together. I'd like to remind people that LeBron James has played with both Anthony Davis and Dwayne Wade. I could probably list a few others, but that, that is ridiculous. James Harden, maybe at his MVP status, maybe, maybe. But even still, I would pick Durant and Curry over that. You need, so. you need James Harden from a few years ago and then Joel Embiid like either last year or this year. Like, like right now. Yes. Yeah. Joel Embiid, let, let, let's move into that because Joel Embiid, I've hinted at this last few weeks. Joel Embiid has probably, I think he has actually taken over in terms of tracking as the MVP front runner. Right now, this season, the Sixers are currently fifth in the Eastern Conference. Joel Embiid is on some torrid Wilt Chamberlain-like tear in terms of the numbers he's putting up, the wins the Sixers are getting. They're on a very hot streak right now, keeping themselves in that basically game-and-a-half gap from the one seed to the five seed. Um, and they're doing this without Ben Simmons. They're, they're getting healthier, which is good. Green just came back. Harris is playing. Maxi has been sensational this season. Um, but it has obviously been largely on the back of Joel Embiid. That being said, the Denver Nuggets with former MVP Nikola Jokic are essentially on the exact same path. They're six right now, but Jokic is putting up very similar to Embiid numbers with slightly less points, slightly more assists. We know how the story goes between these two in comparisons. We, as a podcast, have stated that Steph Curry is our consensus MVP right now. And to me, I personally still hold that opinion. But Embiid and Jokic have absolutely pushed themselves into two and three past John Morant and Kevin Durant, especially Durant with the injury. Um, first of all, chances of Jokic repeating. Second of all, chances of Joe winning. What, what do we got? For, for, let's start with Jokic. Is there, is there a re- reality where he does repeat? Um, and in that reality, is it can, can the Nuggets stay where they are or are they going to have to rise in the standings? In general, for everything. Jokic has a good shot at repeating, but a few things need to happen. One, Steph Curry needs to kind of just, the Warriors can win, but he kind of needs to put like 20 points a night. And that's, it's asinine that I'm even saying that because it's still like a phenomenal stat line for anyone. But I just, I'm laughing because Curry's coming off a 50 point game. That's what I'm saying though, where <laughs> he just, he would need to like kind of calm down, like average like 20 points consistently. And they can even win games, but he's not being, like, spectacular, just, like, dominating. Mm-hmm. Then there's a chance that Jokic could usurp him as a frontrunner. On top of that, though, Joel Embiid probably is going to need to get hurt because yep. while Jokic is playing without Jamal Murray, I think with all the drama that has ha- happened with Ben Simmons and how good the Sixers are playing, at least comparatively with the rest of the East, there's something to be said about that. Like, he is improved, and they're without – a like it or not, he's still a threat on offense in the regular season, not the postseason. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait for the postseason, but the MVP, a regular season award, I actually, like, Jokic, I just, I don't see it. Unless they get to a top three seed, to me, to me, it makes no sense because the last time, a, like, a five or six seed had an MVP, it was Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double. That made sense to me. That was a Jokic bad just put up pretty damn good numbers, don't get me wrong, and they're, they're up horrendous team without him same as the Sixers without Embiid but it's just it's also the MVP is supposed to get better and better you can't just give him the MVP for doing the exact same thing because there's guys doing better than what he was doing last year I would I would give Giannis the MVP over Jokic right now uh, just because the Bucks are doing better it, it's part of it it's I, I I think that 
standing is a very large part of an MVP standard. I think Jokic is doing wonderful things and everything he can do for that Nuggets team. But like, it, and it's ridiculous of me to ask, but literally unless he's averaging a triple double, he's not the MVP this season. He's just not, he's not, do, he, he can't do more, but he's not doing enough to be the MVP. Joel Embiid is, they're only one spot ahead, but this Sixers team might actually be the worst team in basketball if Joel Embiid's not on their team. They're, they're not that bad, but he brings so much energy. He accounts for so many points. He does so much defensively, even if it doesn't show up in the statistics columns. First of all, this guy's never brought up in the defensive player of the year conversation, and he always should be. Absolute, absolute monster defensively, and that's, to me, the biggest difference between him and Jokic. Um, the Sixers do, however, still need to rise in the standings for Embiid to be the MVP. That is... Again, if you're not doing some statistical phenomenon, you have to be a top three or four team to be the MVP. That's why I'm going to still say Seth Curry's the MVP, but both Jokic and Embiid have that very clear goal of if their teams get better, that's their ticket up, which it's weird to say the MVP needs help to be the MVP, but at the end of the day, you don't just win the MVP for being one good guy on a really bad team. Otherwise, Michael Carter-Williams would want MVP as rookie year. Not wrong. And yeah, and me is playing phenomenal. He's still improving every year, which is insane. But, and who knows what the way, like a lot of the MVP is based off of some sort of narrative or storyline. So that Embiid narrative can just definitely build, especially if Ben Simmons were kind of just disparage him as a player. That's only going to build and Joel Embiid would take that as fuel. But mm-hmm. with what Steph Curry's been doing this season with how good the Warriors have been, not only offensively, but defensively. And, he has done so much for the game of basketball in terms of the impact to me, like it would almost be a disservice not giving it to him unless he like gets hurt and, or just melts out of the conversation by scoring 10 points a game. And even so he'd still be up for contention of scoring winner this year. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The MVP is going to be a very, very tight race this year. Cause again, we're not even talking about John Morant right now, who is very much still in this conversation as well. So we're about halfway through the year at this point. Games-wise, we're a little past halfway. So we will obviously keep updating our MVP tracker. But right now, those two centers are two, two guys to definitely look at. The Miami Heat are finally, in fact, healthy. They have won their last two games now, including holding the league-leading scoring Charlotte Hornets to a season-low 86 points. I mentioned a few weeks back that their, their key lineup had only played 17 minutes together. Now that they're healthy, that's going to start changing. Not going to spend any more time on the Heat because we got to move forward here. But just want to remind everybody that the Heat are just half a game back for the one seed in the Eastern Conference, and they just got healthy. Utah Jazz will be without Joe Ingles for the rest of the season. He has torn his ACL, unfortunately. He did say that he will plan on coming back next year. Um, but for a Jazz team that's trying to compete in a very tough Western Conference, losing a defensive, a three and D guy that can also play some point is a tough loss. You got a guy like Royce O'Neal who should comfortably fill into that starting role. But at the end of the day, they're not a super deep team in terms of their depth. depth. It's less about filling that starting role and more about who's going to take over some of these minutes and also the impact that specifically Joe Ingles has. He's a guy that gets in defender, you know, people's heads on the other end. That's not something Royce O'Neal is going to bring. It's not something Jordan Clarkson is going to bring off the bench. That's an irreplaceable thing, more or less. Without a doubt. The Jazz are still a good team. They will continue to be a good team. But in terms of where that success will take them, who knows? I mm-hmm. I imagine a first-round win and then a second-round exit, which yeah. I think everyone's been predicting this year. But losing Joe Ingles is 
huge compared to what you'd expect it to be. Really big impact. If, if Utah is to make a trade deadline move, expect a name like Dory Anthony Smith to come up, basically just a fill-in one-year replacement for Joe Ingles, a defensive-minded three. Um, that's kind of the guy I would expect them to go after if they were to go after. I have not heard any rumors about it, but yeah. uh, with the deadline looming, I figured I'd bring it up. But yes, tough, big loss, big, big kind of team collectiveness guy, big glue guy like Joe Ingles, Joe Ingles, especially with tensions between Mitchell and Gobert seeming to reflare a little bit from what I've heard. Nothing major, but potential to see Mitchell leave eventually. It, it kind of, we're seeing that a little bit here and losing someone like Ingles is only going to make the locker room a more, more tense place, but that's more or less it. The last thing here, um, not in, entirely relevant yet, but LeBron James did basically either him or his camp came out and said that if he does get the chance to play with his son and that would require him to leave LA, he would be willing to do that in order to play at least one season with his son, which does feel like his end goal at this point, his, his end game would be to play one season with his kid and then retire is my guess. Um, and it, it never, never occurred to me that they would play together on the Lakers. That was never a possibility in my head. Um, my curiosity is, will it somehow accidentally be Cleveland? Will it be some random team that LeBron doesn't actually end up wanting to go to? Um, but if this, if this is true and LeBron is 100% committed to this, LeBron James Jr. just became the number one draft pick in his in his class. No matter how good he is, no matter who else is in the class, you you think, and I tend to agree with you. If LeBron can kind of stay where he's at, but what's Bronny? Is he a junior? Yeah, he's either a sophomore or a junior. Let me thought it was, let me see what draft class he would have to be in. In short, it's going to be if he's a junior, he's got one more year, like to be a senior. Another year for to year one and done in college. Or, so Bronny would be eligible for the 2024 NBA draft. Okay, so he's a junior then. Yes. Okay. So LeBron would be what, 39? Yes, that would be the year he turns, the season he turns 40. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as long as Bron can stay healthy – Yes, yeah. but you, you wouldn't want to see some sort of come down after last night and this past season. Right now, nothing is coming close to that. Um, injury, though, could be the thing that sort of derails him. He's been battling nagging injuries this entire year. But you're not wrong. That incentive of both playing with LeBron and his son, that definitely jumps Bronny's stock up in the draft. On top of that, though, here's where he goes. I'll tell you right now, this was all Sam Presti's master plan. He's going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know it's going to happen. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. Um, no, my, my guess is if he leaves L.A. again, regardless of with his son, it is only going to be to a team he's played for. It would either be Miami or Cleveland. That, that is truly the only scenarios I could see. But you know what? That road runs through Sam Presti, and that's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. You're not wrong. We do love our Sam Presti here on this podcast. Sam Presti is going to like fleece teams out of capital just for that one year of LeBron and Bronny. And it's exactly. going to be glorious. And that, that all these millions of draft picks they have, gone. <laughs> all right. So that's, that's the general news we have. Little bit of trade deadline talk is like we've mentioned. There is uh, just four days until the deadline. 
We did have one trade go through one of the uglier trades you're going to see. But like we said, this is going to be a pretty, pretty boring trade deadline in our opinions. Uh, between the Clippers and the Blazers, we saw the Portland Trailblazers ship Norman Powell and Robert Covington to L.A. And in return, got Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, rookie Keon Johnson, and a future second round 2025 draft pick via the Detroit Pistons. And if you take this back to last season, the Blazers essentially turned Gary Trent Jr., who was having a spectacular year with the Toronto Raptors, and two first-round draft picks into Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson. In my opinion, this is Portland saying, we are about to rebuild. Because the other news that we were going to talk about is that there are, it is very likely that CJ McCollum gets traded by Thursday. And if not, most certainly in the offseason. Yeah, let's establish that. And let's talk about this trade. Congrats to the Clippers. You know, yeah. great trade on their end. Norman Powell, Robert Covington, great players that will help out. And honestly, that will be able to kind of hold down the offense and just the team in general until they can come back and are healthy. When they come Which, This was buying in for next year for them. That too. But even so, like... If Kawhi, oh, they're, 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 I actually just saw a report. They're about to shut down both George and Leonard for the year. Really? Okay, that's yes. breaking news. Let, Leonard, Leonard, it's basically already been said he's yeah. down. He's out for the year. Um, and with the Clippers basically locked in at the playoffs right now, like they're, I think they're they're eight right now. They're one spot above the Lakers, and the drop from the Lakers to the nine seed is like five games. Yeah. So what I'm what I was getting at is like let Norman Powell just ball out until they return and honestly you can do do a few things where maybe Norman Powell is that third guy you were kind of missing and you have a really complete team next year maybe he balls out and you decide you can maybe use it as a trade package to get someone else like who knows mm-hmm. great pickups Robert Covington you know love him since the process he's one of those players that always gets thrown around as a three and d guy in every trade like we want him that's because the three is iffy at this point that's true but the one first nba game i ever saw was with you and it was the sixers hornets and he could not miss and it was incredible see that's funny because we talk about russell westbrook getting booed uh off the court essentially currently i remember there was a point where robert covington was like one of 23 during a stretch from three and every time he touched the ball sixers fans were booing it happens tough love (laughs) tough love in in philly but let's yeah let's talk about the uh, the flip side of the coin the blazers yeah this uh just sets me ablaze and if anyone thinks the blazers won this trade go throw yourself into a pit of fire this is annoying it's upsetting the the worst part in all this is someone asked like okay dame it's clear like you know norman powell's gone robert covington's gone cj has potentially moved it's clear like a rebuild's coming or do you want out and he goes Nah, the captain goes down with the ship. Dude, what are you doing? Get out of there. You're going to just waste away your career. I don't care if you're committed to like staying in Portland. You're going to be dead before they're good. I, I think Dame has this odd desire to be the last player to ever play his, fr- his career with one team. Because as of right now, it seems like that's going to die with Dirk Nowitzki. And Dame knows that he is the only person that mentally could do it. He's aware that the team is going to suck for a few years. He, he is only going to leave if the Portland Trailblazers want him to leave. He loves the city of Portland. 
He loves the Blazers franchise and clearly has no personal agenda for winning a championship. He, he wants yeah. to win a championship. He's a competitor. We know he wants to succeed, but it seems as if the city of Portland was just so welcoming to him that he loves it too much to leave. And I get that, but he, he is actually starting to kind of regress a little bit too. A bit, a bit this, this year, especially. Yeah. And he is what? 32, 31 or 32. He's also no timetable on an injury re- return right now. You, you know, maybe it's cause I like, I'm how I'm wired is I want to win. And you know, to I think it's foolish, but I understand the sentiment, you know, that city welcomed him and he went to Weber state for crying out loud. That's not a blue blood college basketball school by any means. I understand, but you're, you're effectively throwing the rest of your career away. And I don't mean that statistically. I just mean like in terms of accolades, like you're, you'll get all-star game nods, but you're done. You also like Dame is not a lock for the hall of fame right now. Mm. Winning a championship that locks you in for the hall of fame at, at, with, with the career he's had. He, he, that that's the issue is if you, if you just have a great career and do nothing, no win, no awards, they, they, what his second year in the league, he competed in every single event in the all-star weekend. And now we're talking about how he's about to be in a relevant basketball. That's how quickly these things can change, meaning he can still turn back up again. But like you're kind of saying that might not just have, that might not be able to happen in Portland. Portland has never been a very successful franchise. Um, despite how all these great things you've done for them, if you're Damian Lillard, like no matter how much love you have for them, you have to consider what's best for you. And I just don't know if he's doing that right now. No, definitely not. But this is like, maybe it's the best for him and not for us in terms of Dame though, in the hall of fame, that's an interesting conversation. I think in a normal hall of fame conversation, yeah, you'd say he's not a lock, but it's the basketball hall of fame where anyone who's Mm -hmm. like a, some semblance of impact on the game or just, people care about like they'll get in we had an argument about Marcus Aldridge but he'd also get in and he will get in I I don't know I'm cooling on Aldridge but we'll see we'll see Aldridge is actually the exact point I'm trying to make here Aldridge didn't really win any accolades and he's just a very damn good basketball player he is that borderline essentially he's Antoine Jameson whose best most notable thing he ever did was win a sixth man he he that's the base Antoine Jameson is probably right now the best player to never make the hall of fame we're at that borderline where that's going to start being like an Aldridge. And then a few years down the line, we'll see. I would love to say that Damian Lillard is a future Hall of Famer. I just don't know if I can say that right now. In short, basketball Hall of Fame is not selective enough, most likely. The Cooperstown and Baseball Hall of Fame is almost too selective, mm-hmm. which, I mean, you know, if you didn't hear it, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, they officially did not get in and they are no longer eligible unless they were to play for a team again, which would be kind of funny if they got signed to like a 10 day contract. Uh, the pro football hall of fame though, like I think that's a pretty solid, like middle ground. I really do. No, that's, that's fair. The, the pro, the pro football hall of fame is, is a pretty good, yeah. The basketball one's just weird. Cause yeah, like you said, it's not just the NBA, it's college, it's uh, overseas play. It's everything. It's coaches, it's broadcasters. It is just the basketball hall of fame. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe that does open the door for someone like Dame a little bit more, but we'll see Portland. Like we said, the, the emergence of a free Simons has left them comfortable to let Dame fully recover from his injury and has also seemingly opened up trade talks with CJ McCollum. As I mentioned, the Mavericks and the Pelicans are the two teams that seem most likely 
to jump at the opportunity to to bring CJ McCollum aboard. I like the Pelicans. I do, especially once Zion's healthy. I think CJ is a very good three. I think he's an excellent third option. Um, the Mavericks, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pair this with I was listening to part of Bill Simmons' podcast two days ago, and he said that if the Mavericks got Demontis Sabonis, they would win the West. And I'm gonna say adding Demontis Sabonis and adding CJ McCollum makes them two spots better and a second round exit because those two players, and I'm, I'm just going to start using the name CJ because that's what we were talking about here because it adds one element of the game that they don't need and already have a ton of, and that's offense. That is scoring the basketball. What does Sabonis do best? Score the basketball. What does CJ McCollum do best? Shoot the basketball. What do neither of them do very well? And what do the Mavericks as a team struggle most aggressively with? Defense. McCollum and Simonis don't bring that. McCollum doesn't bring that at all. Um, Dallas desperately needs someone not named Dorian Finney-Smith to be able to guard someone. I love Luca to death, but in my mind right now, Luca is never going to win a championship because he can't play defense. And if you're a superstar and your name isn't Steph Curry, you have to be able to lock down nowadays and he can't do it yet. He needs a player to guard, to pair with him in that backcourt that can do it. That's not CJ McCollum. You can't pair Sabonis and, and, um, Porzingis down low because all they can do is guard the rim. They can't guard individual players. They're just rim protectors. It doesn't add the things Dallas needs in order for them to actually improve. And in such a tough Western conference with the Lakers of all teams being like one of the worst contending teams, like there's no way that, that adding guys that have never been passed. Well, I guess CJ, CJ has been to the conference finals once, but guys that have, not a whole lot of winning playoff experience and don't dig in deep defensively. They're not going to help Dallas Pelicans. They need defense a little less. They need just to alleviate pressure off their stars. That's why I think CJ is a little bit better of a fit there. He would really slide, especially this year. He gets comfortable with Zion, not playing really learns the team. Then next year when they're all healthy, that could actually be a pretty scary Pelicans team. So weird to say the Pelicans could be scary just based off of what a Pelican is. That's my rant. It's a good one. It's interesting, and I don't think anyone's going to ever consider it because it's the Pelicans. No, probably not. I also don't know what they'd give back. Probably like Michael Alexander-Walker, maybe yeah. some picks or something. Yeah. It, the, the Blazers, whatever they get, you have to know it's not going to look pretty. Unless, unless there's like a heaping amount of draft picks for whatever reason, it is going to look on paper like they lost the trade no matter what. To be fair, they did just trade Norman Powell and Robert Covington for Eric Bledsoe. It's really sad because I don't want to, everyone would admit Eric Bledsoe is the best player in a trade, but like, God, that was, just, that was just a bad haul by them. All right. That's the trade deadline talk. We will be back next week with the full uh, coverage of what does go down to pass. We assume most of it won't go down till either the ninth or the 10th itself. I believe the deadline's like three or 4 PM Eastern on the 10th. So you'll have a full half day of that too. We are going to move now, though, to the all-star selections as both starters and reserves and coaches now have all been officially named for the West and East. The only things that have not been named are the replacement players, which we'll get to in a little bit here. But let's get into it. Let's go to the West to start here. Let's start with the starters. First and foremost, top guard of the Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry. Don't think anybody had any, any questions there as to why he was there. Another all-star appearance for Steph Curry. He will be paired with first-time all-star Ja Morant from the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, ja Morant, excellent season, 
potential MVP candidate. He is joined by another, not just first-time All-Star, but first-time All-Star starter, and Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors. This The, the All-Star selection that drew probably the most question marks. No, no, Not a lot of hate around it, just a lot of curiosity mostly. The reason I was been, I've been giving people is the fact that there's just not a lot of good forwards in the West this year. I mean, three forwards got named to the All-Star game in the West, and two of them were Golden State Warriors. I will say, though, there's definitely a lot of hate, and it was from people who just, like, hear Andrew Wiggins and think he was the Andrew Wiggins of Minnesota. He has played very well this year. I think the argument would be, should he have been a starter versus a reserve? And, you know, to each their own there. But I think an all-star selection definitely warranted. And you got to be honest with yourself. You need one or two that's, like, a little bit, I wouldn't say out of left field for how he's been playing, but just something that's different. Because otherwise you're having the same 12 guys and it just gets boring. It it, it does get boring. And plus Wiggins, you know, he's a defensive minded player more. So it's not like he needs to be putting up 30 a night to be an all-star. Yeah. The, the starter bench player. I, I, the thing is, I don't think he makes it as a reserve. That's my only, only thought um, because the fan vote obviously had something to do with it, but my thought is Draymond would have been the starter, but then which, what we'll get to is Draymond's not going to play in the all-star game. Uh, maybe Wiggins would have been starting regardless because then he would have been the only other forward left. So there you go. Andrew Wiggins and John Morant, both starting their first all-star games. LeBron James received yet again for the billionth year in a row, the most all-star votes. He will be the team captain of his own team. You know, they do the draft of the all-stars instead of West versus East. No, I disagree with that one. Heinous. Heinous. Absurd to elect LeBron James. He he comes back from a five games a- absence, has a twenty nine point triple double, and you name him the All Star captain. Ridiculous, garbage, absurd. Uh, to wrap up the Western starters, Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets, uh, last season's MVP, will yet again represent the the Western Conference starting lineup center position. Those are the starters in the West: Curry, Morant, Wiggins, LeBron, and Jokic. Now to the reserves. We will, I think this is just an alphabetical order by last name. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns elected to his second all-star game back-to-back years. He was my argument as to if we were allowed to start three guards, should he have been a starter? We'll get to that in a second here though. Um, Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks, not a starter this year, but yet again, back in the all-star game. Center Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz. Forward Draymond Green for the Golden State Warriors, who, like I said, will not play in the game. He is uh, currently injured. Donovan Mitchell of the Utah Jazz, Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns, and back after a two-year absence, Carl Anthony Towns of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves currently the seventh seed in the Western Conference, three games above 500, led by Star Center Cat Towns. So it's this was so. So my the only thing that I did wrong here is I accidentally had 13 All Star spots, not 12. I, was, I added an extra one, so I actually predicted every single one of these All Stars, other than Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is the only person I didn't get, but the bench completely accurate. Only thing is I had Draymond starting, but I got no complaints. Absolutely none for the Western Conference. Wiggins is a question mark, but it's not a complaint. Um, there is one snub. That's DeJounte Murray of the Spurs. He's having a sensational season. Um, but before, before we get into the, the, the snubs and the whole guard forward uh, issue I wanted to bring up, what are, I want to hear your thoughts on, on the Western All-Stars. I've always thought that the West is like pretty clear cut, whether you say starters or not. But, I mean, 
Luka Doncic, you know, not being a starter this year, I think is very accurate. John Morant's more than earned it, but mm-hmm. you still have to include him in there. Devin Booker's been having a great season. Chris Paul is kind of one of the mainstays. No Dame this year because he's not been having a good season and he's hurt. Uh, Rudy Gobert, you need to include him. I mean, Jokic, obviously. I have no complaints either. Uh, DeJounte Murray, like you said, is probably the only one I'm like, that's – he's been having a good season. The Spurs are just kind of very mediocre. Yeah, they're pretty bad. That's one of those nice, like – young player who's up and coming to like throw in there to include him with everything. Kind of like Christian Leitner with the team USA, that, that one guy who's probably doesn't fit in with everyone, but also like it, not Christian Leitner's case, but is up and coming and can be better. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Mur- Murray is right on that cusp. We assume we'll hear Murray's name in the all-star game at some point in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe within the next couple of days, because as I just said, Draymond Green will not be playing. A replacement will have to be named for him. The question is, since Draymond's a forward, will it have to be another forward or will they just pick the next best man, which obviously will no question be Murray. But in that, if, if it does have to be a forward, then it opens up the, the world of Kristaps Porzingis would probably be the most likely uh, option again, because the forward depth in the West has just been so poor this year. Uh, Paul George injured, Kawhi Leonard injured, Anthony Davis in er, poor season and injured. He's not going to get named as a replacement. Porzingis is the next name that comes up to me. The the West has been struggling, but if you're going to name it by forward, it has to be Porzingis. If you're going to name it by next best player, which I personally think it should be, it should be DeJounte Murray. Because if you're talking about who in the West that didn't make the All-Star game deserves to be an All-Star, Murray's the only name. He's the only name. Uh, Unless you want to talk about Russell Westbrook. I'll talk about Russell Westbrook deserving to be an All-Star any day of the week. But no one wants to hear that right now. The thing is, I don't think the All-Star game should be contingent on position. I think it's stupid. I don't think you should ever elect 12 guards or anything like that. But I don't think I, – I think if you want to start Steph Curry, John Morant, Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, and LeBron James, you should be able to do that. I think if there's only five guard spots – or four guards, guard spots on the bench – but five guards deserve to make it. And there's three forward spots and only two forwards deserve to make it. I believe that that guard should be able to take that forward spot. The only complaint I have here is that Murray should have been an all-star. I don't even like Wiggins would have been the guy over. I'm not, again, I'm not mad that Wiggins is there. It's just, it's just weird to me that it's so position based, especially in a year where the forwards have been so weak. Fair. I, here's like my counterpoint and maybe just to kind of quell that well, yeah, with the all-star game being that you get 24 player pool, everyone picks their teams and you, you just go at it to include DeJounte Murray as the replacement for Draymond Green, I think is more than good. I think people will be exceptional to have, like people will be ecstatic to have that. And if Kristaps Porzingis is in that all-star game, I don't care how good of a season he's having. I will not watch it. Sorry. What, I think is important though about the starters and like kind of trying to pick those by position is you have a lack of forward depth in the West, but you kind of need that just to play. Like I know the all-star game, no one cares about the score. No one just, it it doesn't matter, but you sort of need a semblance of a lineup just so it's like, Oh, okay. Hey, Chris Paul play center for me. And you just watch Giannis like bowl him over Mm because he would try that. That's, yeah, that's fair. I No, I think I get it more for the starting lineup. It's just it's just not right seeing Wiggins. Wiggins is having a great year. Again, like you said, being an all-star, not really a question. Being a starter, that's just where I'm like, 
I think someone like Devin Booker or Luka Doncic, despite not being a true forward, would have done just fine. That's just my personal opinion. Those are the Western All-Stars. Phoenix Suns coach Monty Williams will be the representative Western Conference head coach. The way that's decided is the team with the best record in each conference on today, February 6th, will be named the head coach. Monty Williams has had that locked up for a few days now. Um, We'll talk about the, the East in just a second here. Um, so LeBron James, like I mentioned, team captain, he will get to draft his team when that day comes. Let's move on to the East. Start with the starters again, point guard. This was a weird one for me because I almost felt like no point guards deserve to start in the Eastern conference this year. Um, however, statistically speaking, Trey young does deserve to be here and the Hawks have had a a good stretch, especially since the new year. Um, but they're like 10th in the East right now. They're not having a good season and Trey Young isn't having his best season either, but he is the all-star starter. He dropped 43 earlier this week. So he clearly deserves to be in this game. He's starting point guard. Despite playing small forward this season, DeMar DeRozan will be the other guard in the Eastern conference. He is going to be representing the Chicago bulls as a starting shooting guard. Kevin Durant was named team captain and starting forward for the Brooklyn Nets and the Eastern Conference All-Stars. However, he is also very likely not playing in the All-Star game and will need to be replaced. We'll talk about that in a moment here. Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks, no question. And same with Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. Those guys are going to be locked as starters for the All-Star game for years to come so long as they're healthy. Um, I essentially have absolutely zero issues with the All-Star starters in the East. I think Trey Young for Durant would have been, or excuse me, for Harden would have been fine, but that's it. That's the only thing I would have changed. And honestly, I wouldn't even have changed it. Like, I think that, that they nailed it in the East. Kind of like we talked about this year, clear cut. It's a lot of the same people. DeMar DeRozan, though, is the one that is different this year. And from the season he's been having and just the revitalization of the Bulls, absolutely. Guard depth is a little bit weak with uh Benny Boy being out and Kyrie not playing half his games. So Trey Young in there, I have no problem with. And yeah. No, very, very solid on the starters. Trey Young isn't maybe the best quality starting all-star starter, but I think he is the pick for the starter. I would, I don't, I don't think there was someone more deserving. So good job for him. Good job for all the starters. Let's get to the reserves here again. Uh, alphabetical by last name here so we'll start with the Miami Heat forward Jimmy Butler has played just over half the games this season the Heat have done so well it was it was really just you can't deny the Heat an all-star this year and Hero just wasn't putting up the statistics you give it to their best player who's played just enough Jimmy Butler back in the all-star game after one year absence Uh, home team Cleveland will be hosting this year's all-star all-star game and they did get their first all-star since 2018 Darius Garland, the point guard, despite all the point guard injuries they've had, is going to be a reserve guard for Cleveland. He is the team's first all-star since LeBron James and Kevin Love back in 2018. So congratulations for Garland. He'll represent the the stadium in the all-star game. Um, Brooklyn Nets, James Harden, obviously all-star mainstay. He's there on the bench, as well as Bulls guard Zach Levine. He and DeMar DeRozan have had an excellent season. The Bulls, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, So two all-stars, no question there. Forward, Chris Middleton for the Milwaukee Bucks. Another solid season for him. He's just kind of, till he proves he shouldn't be there, he's going to be there. Mainstay. Exactly. 
Jason Tatum, which I'll get to in a second, also making yet another all-star game despite Boston's struggles. And the one that drew probably the most controversy in the Eastern Conference guard, Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors corralled that last all-star spot. So let's talk about these reserves here for a second. Let's start with Fred Van Vliet right at the end there, because most people claim that LaMelo Ball probably should have been given that all-star spot. Toronto, excuse me, Houston, eh, can't speak right now. The Hornets have been the seven seed pretty much all season long. Toronto has been below them, but are rising recently, especially from great play from Van Vliet. Um, LaMelo is putting up slightly better statistics on significantly worse shooting numbers. Um, defensively, not significantly worse shooting numbers, slightly worse shooting numbers. But Van Vliet also defensively, it's not even close. He's way better than LaMelo right now. Um, so I want to hear your thoughts on, on the, the LaMelo versus uh, Freddie Boy. So Fred is putting up more points per game than LaMelo this year. Right, I bet on that one. Yeah, no worries. But LaMelo still, like in other statistical categories, he has more rebounds, like around three more rebounds a game, another three more assists per game. He kind of does it all, and he is a lot more like a Russell Westbrook than like a Steph Curry. Like it's kind of pick your poison there, and wouldn't even go so far to say any of those guys are like comparatively speaking as good as either of them. But for this point, this is what I'm going with. I don't have a problem with it just because the Raptors have now actually gotten ahead of the Hornets. The Hornets have been on a bit of a skid. The Raptors have been pretty hot. I know they they. They beat the Heat twice, granted, without a lot of their players, which kind of comical, to be honest. I think it's fine just because Van Vliet's a little bit older than LaMelo. LaMelo will get an all-star selection shortly. I I think it was more so kind of a, let's give it to a guy who may not be here next year. The fan vote definitely helps. I mean, being that Canada has a singular NBA team, and they definitely care about it a lot versus Charlotte, which is a small market. Everyone loves the ball family, but I'm sure that player vote definitely helped in that capacity. Yeah. I'm also just going to straight up say Fred Van Vliet is a better basketball player right now. Like just in terms of complete player, like yes, LaMelo might do some things more statistically speaking, but in terms of sound point guard, that's going to win, make winning plays. And, and when, I mean, LaMelo ball is constantly on the bench at the end of games for the Hornets. Fred Van Vliet's always on the court. Fred Van Vliet's making huge shots in players' faces all the time. He was a massive part of that Raptors championship run. Um, I I think he's just slightly better. I also think LaMelo Ball, it it is very important not to give this guy credit before he deserves it because it will ruin his trajectory just because he is someone that we can tell is very high on himself, is very up in his own head. If he gets named an all-star before he's truly deserving to be an all-star, he's going to start acting and playing like he's – this great God player. And that's just going to screw up how good he can actually get. I don't, I don't really care about his ego or his dad's ego. I'm, I'm really just talking about performance on the court is going to be affected. If he's given too much credit before it's deserved. I think next year he'll be an all-star. I think he might even give it, give the starting spot a run potentially, but right now he's still a little out of control. He still commits way too many turnovers and the Hornets just, they're, they're good. They're okay. They're just not, they're not, good enough to definitively say that he's doing more than Van Vliet. I think they made the right call here. Part of it too, though, is the fact that he'll be in the rising star competition, like yes. that game. So he's still going there. He's not playing in two games, which I, I know the all-star game is like kind of the pinnacle, but he's still going. Van Vliet wouldn't have went if he wasn't in the all-star game. Yeah. hundred percent. So nice to get an extra guy out there anyway. Um, 
The big one for me is Jason Tatum. Statistically speaking, of course, he deserves to be here. Like 25, six and whatever. He's doing great statistically. The Boston Celtics suck. They're like ninth in the East, eighth or ninth in the East right now. They've been struggling all year. They've been in and out of the play-in at the bottom of the play-in throughout points of this season. I just, it's the same thing as why Julius Randle made the All-NBA second team last year. He's, He's here because of who he plays for, not because of how good he is or how well he's doing. And it's frustrating because I, I straight up think there was one mistake made in the all-star game. And that's that Jared Allen should have been in and Jason Tatum should have been out. That is the only, only thing I think they got that this committee got wrong. It just makes no, it's not fair that someone having as good of a year as Jared Allen misses out because there is just a superstar playing for the Boston Celtics, despite how bad they've been, despite the fact that when they lose, he plays terribly. Yeah. Again, guard forward. I would have even put LaMelo in over Jason Tatum this year. But Tatum is more or less an all-star fixture at this point. Unfortunately, he is just a superstar. You you can't deny it. The Celtics, whether or not they actually make the play-in or the playoffs or not, is irrelevant for this because Tatum just is that good. It's frustrating because he's a Celtic. It's frustrating because they suck. But he he does have to be here, unfortunately. And that's also where I'm going to kind of continue my point here as Durant is going to miss the game. We're going to need to replace someone in the all-star starting lineup. And undoubtedly based off of skill, Jimmy Butler should be the the replacement. Jimmy Butler is the best all-star reserve on the Eastern conference by a landslide. However, it's going to be Jason Tatum. And I think everybody knows it's going to be Jason Tatum because you're putting a Celtic into the lineup. And it's the last time we're really going to see anything positive happen for the Celtics this year. So that plus he was the starter replacement last season, if I'm not mistaken, also, there's just a negative energy around other teams and Jimmy Butler. This has been since before he was a Heat. People just don't like Jimmy Butler. So I, I, I do expect Tatum not only to retain this spot, but to, to actually get promoted into the starting lineup here. Um, but the replacement, I do think, will be Jared Allen. I think they'll give the backup because there was no backup center listed there, no none named. So I think they're going to use that forward spot and name a backup center. Makes it easy because Jared Allen plays where the game is being played. Uh, it, it's unfortunate for LaMelo. But also, again, the fact that it's guard forward, maybe for the reserves, it doesn't matter as much. But I think just since it's it's so simple to put Allen right there, um, that's that's going to kind of be what's going to happen. But those, those are the two big snubs in the East, LaMelo Ball and Jared Allen. I wrote down Tyler Hero, but that was, like I kind of said, the Heat deserved an all-star. And if Butler didn't qualify, it probably would have been Hero. And finally, the head coach of the Eastern starter, or excuse me, Eastern team, which I believe will actually be LeBron's head coach, um, will be Billy Donovan of the Chicago Bulls clinched that up this weekend. And there you have it. The NBA all-stars, all 24 players. The draft will probably commence in, in the next week or two. Um, yeah. So Durant will still draft his team. He's still the captain of his squad. He just, it seems like he's not going to play. I don't think it's been officially ruled out yet, but it's, he's injured right now. So um yeah, it'll be exciting to see if it's Jimmy, if it's Middleton, if it's Tatum, if they move a guard up, if the replacement starts, who knows. But that's where we're at. Four first-time All-Stars, John Morant, Andrew Wiggins, Fred Van Vliet, and the Cleveland Cavaliers' very own Darius Garland, making his all of their first playoff appearances, or excuse me, All-Star appearances. So shout out to those guys. Hopefully for all of them, first of many to come. Exciting time. All-star always feels good to be named to an all-star. Always feels good. We each have an all-star for our teams. That's always nice to have. 
only one, which is actually pretty odd for our two teams normally. Usually we'll see Bam and Jimmy. Usually you'll see Simmons and Embiid. Bam with the injury. Ben with being Ben. Didn't happen this year, but it'll be a fun time. It'll be a fun game, and we're looking forward to it. That's going to wrap up our episode here. I will be recording in Pennsylvania next week. Exciting, going home for a week. So I will be watching the Super Bowl there. We'll be recording on it in Pennsylvania. So we'll be working on the same same time frame for, for the first time in a while. That's always nice. But yeah, we'll have our Super Bowl recap next week. We'll have our trade deadline in the NBA recap. And we're getting very close to starting our reporting on college basketball. Don't you guys worry. We're not forgetting about it. We're just... Full, full of information today. We had to get a bunch done. So we're waiting on college basketball, but it's coming. Don't worry. Until then, I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. I hope you enjoy both the trade deadline and the Super Bowl, whatever your fancy is, the commercials, even just that. That's fine, too. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care, everyone.